0: This is the shift podcast today on the shift daily podcast tech expert Mike Yanni helps us understand his greatest purchases ever a gadget that can turn bottled and canned beer into draft beer and a lawnmower that mows all by itself. He absolutely loves it. What happens when you go under the knife in Canada for your joints. Stuart McLaughlin, assistant professor at the University of Waterloo, tells us the amazing science that goes into joint replacements in creating the joints and the mechanical engineering behind it. Also, it's time for Game Showy here on the Shift Daily Podcast. Handy Andy Barrar is our special guest battling me in a round of trivia celebrating the life of Elvis Presley. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. Filling in for Blaine Kylo on the technological world is Mike Yanni joining us here. Mike, he's the gadget guy. You can follow his uh, YouTube channels and stuff like that. He doesn't uh, doesn't post them all the time, but he still has a love affair for the gadgets and the things. And he's a nerd at heart. You've seen him all over the TV for 25 years. He's old. And uh, still catch him on Global and the morning shows and stuff like that every now and then he pops in, too. Mike, how are you?
1: I am doing well. You know, it's been a while since we talked.
0: It's been a It's been a minute. Um, people don't know how, like, I mean, how long we've known each other. It's been probably 15 plus, well, 15 plus years. We've worked in the same building. And even before that, just from working in the same city. So
1: yeah, you're it's old. gotta be not me. It, it's true. And thanks for telling everyone that you're welcome. just how old yeah. I am. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Sorry. it's obviously, you know, me because you called me a nerd. Yeah. Um, and I don't take offense to that. I don't think that I am.
2: I,
0: don't, I think pretty much anyone in Canada who's seen me on TV can make that de- <laughs> de- determination. Um, uh, very cool. You do love the gadgets. You love all the things. And with Blaine Kyla being away, we've asked you to step in and uh, provide a little bit of nerdism on all of it. Now, we're not going to touch on gaming today. That's just not one of the things that we're going to get into. But we have some fun stuff here. And I want to start with televisions, Mike, because, you know, we're, we're tiptoeing towards the end of summer. The shows are going to start up again. Um, we're going to get hockey again. And TVs have been changing. We don't really need TVs anymore. People are, the kids are on their phones, they're on their tablets. But yet at the same time, there's something really nice about sitting with the family in front of the TV. Most houses are sitting individually with five different TVs, watching five different things at a time. So what do we got in the land of TVs?
1: Well, how about sitting down and watching your TV with the family outside? Because that's kind of something I dipped my toes into this summer. That's not what they meant. They didn't mean
0: that, get outside and do something. They didn't mean get outside and do exactly (laughs) what you were doing inside. They meant get out and do something different.
1: I think that you're right. But I like to twist things sometimes. Um, But I've been kind of testing out outdoor TVs. And I've got to say, that's kind of really opened up my eyes. It's just been a fun way to spend time with the family outdoors. And I should preface this by saying, I didn't just take my television and put it outside. I actually tried out some of the outdoor televisions that are specifically made for the outdoors. And I've got to say, they've changed a lot over the years. Um, I tried one probably, I would say, well, pre-pandemic, oh my gosh, so uh, maybe five years ago, I tried my very first outdoor television. And I set it up, and I was all ready to go, and I was doing actually a morning show segment at the time. And I, I put the logo of the morning show in, and I'm sitting waiting to go live. You know, the sun's beating on the screen. It's It's warm. And right before we go live, I just look over my shoulder and I see these black blotches forming all over the screen. Oh, no. I was just like, oh my gosh, what what is going on? Turns out some of the earlier models were not not made for direct sunlight. Oh. So between the heat of the screen and the heat of the morning sun, and keep in mind, this is seven in the morning, it's not like it was extremely hot all of a sudden the picture was starting to go and this is like live television Instantly. right before i go on i'm just like okay I told my cameraman nope pan off that we won't talk about that this morning um, and so they've changed a lot technology has improved uh they've now have models that actually can be in the direct sunlight which is which is a big difference um but it's a lot of fun to not only just watch movies at night with the family you can play video games mm-hmm. so you know your ps5 your xbox um, that's fun. So the kids have been loving that. And actually we have been spending more time together as a family. It's kind of interesting.
0: Hmm. I, I, the hot tub for me was a thing. That's when I tried it was to be able to put one outside so yeah. I could sit in the hot tub and watch the hockey game. There was actually one point where I couldn't. So I had a mirror So I sat in the hot tub and I had the mirror reflected at the TV through the living room window. I could still watch the hockey game. That was a long time ago. Technology's changed a lot since Shane was using a mirror to watch the hockey game. Um, But one thing that I think impresses me, Mike, when you talk about spending time with the family, and you've seen with some inflatable screens and stuff, so it's nice because the lumens of those projectors aren't very bright. You have to be up late. You have to do it. These TVs have a lot more oomph behind them but to do family movie nights with the lawn chairs and get outside and everyone's sort of sitting around the dogs running and you're watching your movie. I mean, that's kind of a cool idea.
1: It's fun. And you're right. I mean, yet you can take the projector, you can shine it on the side of your house. You can shine it on the fence on a bed sheet. We've, I've done that. And yes, that is fun. There's something to that. But when you have a 65 inch television, that's, you know, bright and crisp,
3: Colorful. And yeah.
1: You're watching a movie. I mean, it looks it looks amazing. It sounds amazing. You can actually use Bluetooth on these as well. So you're not, you know, actually waking up the neighbors. No one can oh, hear what you're watching. So it's yeah. kinda of
0: like the old school drive in where everyone had their own little bad speaker right? on your car window.
1: Yeah. And they're completely waterproof. Uh, You can, they can be out in the rain, they can be out in the cold. So they're completely sealed. So that's one thing you have to think about is, okay, what's my source? What's my input going to be? You know, they're smart. So they have, you know, Netflix and all the different streaming services built. in. that's probably the way to go. But you could hook up a cable box, you could hook up a satellite box, you just have to make sure the rain doesn't get into those. And all the HDMI ports on the back, they're actually sealed. So there is a flap that goes over the back that when you tighten in the screws, uh, the seal compresses and so no water can get in. So it's, it's a little bit of a setup. and But I will say, they're not – okay, so they're not cheap. You're looking probably around $3,500 starting to about $5,000. That's for about a 55 to a 65-inch. So they're not cheap. They're an investment for sure. But they are built like a tank. This is very different than the the thin plasma you have uh or ol in your living room uh these are made from metal it's not plastic it's metal it's glass it has an internal fan to make sure there's no humidity on the inside they are heavy you know they're over a hundred pounds so you have to have you know the proper location to put this i put mine on a, a metal stand with with wheels so it was it actually was perfect we can kind of move it around like stole it
0: from the studio but okay
1: maybe no, <laughs> <never> <laughs> but speaking of stealing that is something else you have to think about though as well this is an investment so when you go away for a week what are you going to do Right? Do you move it into the house? Are you going to trust that no one's going to go into your backyard and walk away with this? Mm-hmm. So, you know, but there are some things to keep in mind. Mounted. So you know sure. There's
0: all kinds of things yep. there, right? I, and I was thinking about uh, on Amazon, you can buy those floor mount TV mounts now too, so you don't have to put the holes in your wall. And it kind of pushes right up against the wall. So it's quite subtle. And it's just basically a TV on a stick.
1: On a That's stick. exactly yeah, right. That's exactly what we did. We got one of those. Uh, they had wheels on the bottom with the the two um, pipes, uh, and you just bolt it right to it, and it was perfect. Nice. It was it was so much fun. I mean, yes, an investment, and you know what? You could argue. I hate to say this, some televisions are almost disposable. How cheap they are. You could take a cheap TV and just have it out every once in a while, too. Well,
0: that's just it, right? Like, and they're so cheap. You can go get a yeah. non-smart TV for 40 bucks, 30 bucks used. And right. you can, I mean, at five, $3,000, I mean, that's 100 TVs. You can have probably two years' worth of TV nights outside and never bring it in again. I mean, that's not very eco and responsible in the world of trying to <laughs> take care of stuff. But, I mean, it does it's, work.
1: It does. You're right. It's true. And that also kind of shows our age, too. I don't. I remember the time, and it doesn't seem that long ago, when some of the plasma TVs were $30,000 for a 65-inch. Right? Mm-hmm. It was not that long ago.
0: I remember when my dad was so excited when he got a 32-inch CRT, like old-school tube TV, because yeah. they finally came out in 32s. Like, holy cow. The family used to sit around and watch those 20-inch TVs in the living room. That was the night of, you know, watching MASH or something. Uh, Mike Yanni is here sitting in for Blaine Kylo. Now, since we're talking about the yard, I was walking in St. Catherine's, Ontario with my buddy, Bob, and there was this little robot thing rolling around the yard. And I said to Bob, I was like, this, what's going on here? He's like, that thing's running every day, all day. It goes in at nighttime. It charges. It comes back out the next day. The guy's lawn is perfect. And I watched it. I watch it get to the edge of the sidewalk, turn around and go back. And he has no line between him no fence between him and his neighbor on the one side and it literally is a perfect straight line of mowing that this little machine just kind of keeps going and gets and turns and and does it all robot lawnmowers uh the way to go maybe
1: you know what that's a bad neighbor because i would let the robot go into the neighbor's yard and do their yard too
0: you think so yeah
1: (laughs) that's honestly that's what i do i i do i'll admit i have a robotic lawnmower and probably one of the best purchases I've ever made. I've had one for six years and I upgraded this year to a, a model that's just slightly bigger. And I will say this is a game changer. And it's funny that you mentioned that when you saw this on a yard, as you're walking by, you kind of stopped in your tracks and you're like, wait a minute, what is that? Because every UPS driver, every Amazon driver, every plumber, electrician that goes by, Slams on the brakes, pulls out their smartphone, and they're rolling on the front of our house because they have not seen one before.
0: <laughs> it's neat. I mean, and convenient. I'm it's guessing great. that you never have to mow the lawn, then you don't have to do any yard work, maybe some edging, that's it?
1: I uh, You have to do the edging. But other than that, I have not physically mowed my lawn in, I guess, probably six years now. I used to say five years, but six years now. Love it. It, it just uh, parks it, itself
0: and charges and off it goes? It
1: does. And the setup is actually really easy. So how it works is there is actually a wire that you bury around the, the perimeter of your yard. And if you have any flower beds in the center. And it knows once it reaches that wire just to turn around and go the other way. So you have a, uh, a home dock, and that's the charging station. And so you program this all through your smartphone. You say what time you want it to go out. You can set the height for the how high or how short you want your grass. And you hit start, and away it goes. It will charge, and then it knows just to go out do its thing for about an hour hour and a half and then it will find the dock on its own and it'll charge again and it'll go out again and it keeps trimming it the key with a robotic lawnmower though is you can't let your grass grow too long Mm -hmm. so it almost has to go out i wouldn't say every day but i'd say every second to third day because once it gets too long it can't really keep up because underneath it's actually just razor blades there are four razor blades under the one i have that just when they're spinning, it's just enough and it's sharp enough to just to cut the grass. So if the, if the grass was like seven inches tall, there's no way it's going it, to do that. Yeah. Couldn't even But move. that's why it just, it just goes out on its own and just kind of does this thing, keeps it trimmed, and you so never you really to, notice your grass growing.
0: In the springtime when it's short and brown um, and then it gets, you know, you got to get it out right away. So it keeps going. And I'm assuming that means because it's only clipping off a few millimeters at a time, there's no bag, no cleanup.
1: No bagging, and you would have no idea that your grass is being mowed because the, the trimmings are so tiny that yeah. it's actually good for your grass because it's going back into the grass.
0: Mike Yanni's filling in for Blaine Kylo here on The Shift. It is a technological world, and having beer at home, for me, it's cider, actually. Um, nice. I had a keg fridge. I uh, had a business long ago where we would take stainless steel kegerators, the big ones that could have all the canisters, all self-contained, they fit nicely in the kitchen and um, part of the deal was with us is I had a guy who did caricatures so I could take and I was like Mike Yanni beer co and it was a caricature drawing of your face thumbs up or whatever and we, they would wrap I would get the guys to wrap the fridge with your face and then you had your own beer company and you could even get your keg handle whatever then you throw in your Molson Canadian or whatever it is that you're drinking and uh, off you go it's your it's your Mike Yanni brewing and and so that was a thing. It's been around forever, but there's some new ways that you can get a kegerator at home without having to go through all the fuss.
2: How about a
1: kegerator for a hundred bucks?
0: Oh, that's a lot cheaper. I'm glad I'm not in that business anymore because that's not what we were charging.
1: <laughs> right. I they're, they're not cheap. I mean, they've like every technology out there, they've come down a price. Although I've actually noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, if you've been shopping around for parts or anything like that, I actually found over the last couple of years, the pandemic, prices actually went up. So I think there's been a little bit more demand for at-home oh, entertaining and kegerators, and of course we were drinking more, right? But I agree. I've had one in the home here for probably about five, six years, and I love it. I think it's an amazing investment for the summer. Neighbors come over all the time. You just you know send them inside with their with their cup, and it's just a, a fun social thing. Um, but it's expensive. And, of course, you have to get the CO2 tanks. So, you know, there's upkeep to it. And you have to clean the lines and things like that. So I was kind of just looking around. Actually, it was for Father's Day. I was looking for, I was asked to do a segment with Global on ideal tech gifts for Father's Day. And I stumbled upon this device. that's actually built in Canada called Physics. It's called the Physics Draft Pour Beer Dispenser. And it claims that it can turn any bottle or any can of beer into draft beer so initially i thought okay it's 100 just over 100 bucks this is just a fancy tap all it's doing is it's taking the beer from your can and you can just pour it out through a
0: tap it's the brita of beer
1: right and in a sense it kind of is so i I contacted the company as i said canadian company which is kind of cool because i always like supporting canadian try to find the cool canadian products out there Uh, and they sent me one and it's a little bit more than just a fancy beer dispenser. What it does is so, yes, you open up the can of beer, you open up your bottle, you put it in, you put the long tube down the, you know, the neck of the bottle, you close it up and it's ready to go. You pour it. But what it actually does is it actually pressurizes the um, the, the capsule where your bottle or your can is in and then it changes the carbonation. So as you pour it, it has more of that micro foam. So it's got it, it gets mm. a lot of head on that beer. Yep. and it's almost like an aerator for wine it actually does taste change the taste of your beer mm-hmm. and i noticed that right away they said it when i'm like eh, yeah, i don't know it really does so it's like aerating wine you can notice the taste a, a difference in the taste same thing with this it worked actually quite well it did actually feel like yes you were drinking a, a glass of draft beer and i don't yeah. know about you i do you like cans bottles what's what's your preference or just yeah draft? no
0: i'm i'm i'd like the draft I, I always whenever i go out it's a chance to have draft beer or cider either way and i always i always do i mean for me like guinness is a great example i went to ireland last year and you know the taste of guinness in ireland is different the taste of guinness uh in a can is different um it just it's different it's not the same
1: yeah i agree it's 100 it, i actually prefer draft so this was kind of nice you know you can take something from the fridge and you can have your own draft beer at home um at I, it worked better for I would say domestic brands and some of the more common brands out there I didn't care for the, what it did to the flavor of craft beer That was just my, my two cents um, it, Sure, it changes the carbonation. It does change the taste But I preferred it more with uh, you know, the, the main brands out there. I did not try it with cider I should have. I, mm. like, I do enjoy good cider There you go. But See I mean it's a hundred bucks It's a hundred right.
0: bucks. You can do it. Go get another one. You'll be fine Right. <laughs> I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll sign the, uh, the purchase order for the family for the uh, okay. Yanni family purchase order uh, Mike Yanni filling in, uh, chatting about beer and so much more for Blaine Kylo it is a technological world, great to see you brother thanks for stepping in, really appreciate it
4: thanks for having me
1: this is the Shift Podcast
0: nobody told me how many times have you said that nobody told me when I turned 30 Nobody told me when I turned 40. Nobody told me when I turned 50. Like these are things like there should be a rule book to this getting older in life. So uh, we've been through a couple of things here on the shift recently, which caused us to reach out to Stuart McLaughlin. Um, Ryan's grandma finally got her hip replacement. My dad has had both of his knees done, he needs a hip done. I am very worried because I have had my labrum reattached and some screws put in my shoulder and it's bad again. And I don't know what that's gonna look like. One of the questions that you're about to hear me ask Stuart is uh, are they gonna give me a new shoulder? Um, So what does Stuart do? Well, Stuart um, is not like the guy who's gonna put in the shoulder, but he's like a mechanical engineer thing. So building all of it, mechatronics, not mechatronics, mechatronics. I have no idea what that is, Stuart, but it sounds smart. What the hell is it?
4: Yeah, thanks, Shane, for this opportunity to come and speak with you. So mechatronics, yeah. So we have a a lab at the University of Waterloo um, focused on orthopedic mechatronics. And so the way we envision that is sort of a multidisciplinary thing. So I'm a mechanical engineer by training, but when you look at the technologies that are coming down the pipe, whether it's robotics, AI, software, many things like that, It often involves multidisciplinary. And so for mechatronics, we're bridging sort of the mechanical engineering with electrical engineering, software engineering, and other disciplines as well, like biomedical, to kind of bring people together with their requisite expertise to solve these complex challenges, whether it's related to orthopedic surgery or robotics, AI, whatever, what what have you.
0: So what does it land specifically for you? Are you um, consulting with doctors and overseeing how joints are working and improving on design? Or are you actually just designing? Or how, how does it land for you? Because with the engineering background um, that you have, I mean, I guess it kind of could go this way or that way.
4: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So we definitely collaborate with doctors. Without them, we, we probably wouldn't be doing very well. So. Yeah, I've benefited. Although some
0: industries you you'd be surprised because I don't think they do collaborate. But anyway, that's true. No, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
4: So we've benefited from working closely with uh, a number of orthopedic surgeons, both in London, Ontario, and Toronto, and actually across Canada. And many of those trainees that we've worked with have also gone around the world as well. So I've benefited from working with all these doctors and all their different opinions because you know the. Each doctor might tell you something different. So, collectively, as I've worked with now dozens of different physicians, I actually have a pretty good sense on on what works and what doesn't work, and what the real pro- what the real root of the problems are. Um, and so that's what we kind of bring into our lab that knowledge, and allow my engineering students to then kind of gain from that knowledge, and then work closely with the next generation of medical doctors to uh, you know to develop these technologies and, and try to solve some of the problems that they see on the front lines of delivering care to Canadians. Um, so yeah, I think we. Turn the benefit from their from their expertise.
0: Yeah, and I would like. It seems to like an exciting place to be right now because it seems to have changed so much. I mean, my dad talked about his, and and you hear people talk about you know they're awake during their surgeries or whatever, and you know you can hear the saw or you can smell the you know the the sawdust, bone dust, I don't know whatever it is that's going on, right? And then there's a hammer and a chisel, and there's all kinds of old school ways of doing this, and then you get into this computer assisted thing today. Uh, Are we seeing a lot of changes? Because regardless of the chisels and the hammers, I was shocked how fast my dad was walking after he got a new knee. And that was more old school technology versus what is today. Where are we going?
4: Yeah, that's a great, great question, too. I think orthopedics, uh, orthopedic surgery, right, when we look at things like joint replacement, it's kind of in a funny position because we're still kind of using the same technologies that have been around for, you know, 30 or decades, really, right? A lot of the same materials, the implant design, they still work, they work really well. As you say, like people that have had their, their hips and knees replaced 10, 20 years ago are still walking around quite mobile, where we, but we still have seen a lot of technological, technological improvements. And that's for sort of addressing somewhere, you know, those patients that didn't do quite well or some more of the challenging cases. So this is where we can bring in things like computer assisted surgery, whether well, that's you know getting some pre-operative image and bringing that into the operating room, so we're making sure that the surgeon's putting the implant in the right place, um, which is a key part of you know making sure the surgeries are successful. We can bring in things like wearable devices and AI to make sure the patients you know getting uh, the right uh, rehabilitation before the surgery and after the surgery, because again, um, the patient's the number one person as far as how the surgery affects them, right? So we need to make sure, like in terms of patient-reported outcomes. they're they're happy right they're content with it and so i think a part of that's managing expectations about you know how what the post-operative procedure is going to look like and how much rehabilitation is going to be required there so we have you know new technologies and wearables and a lot of great physical therapy that's involved with uh, the post-operative rehabilitation now and then we have like looking at the forefront now we've got things like robotics right now so there's a huge push on surgical robotics and again that's really just to help make these procedures more efficient more repeatable um ultimately, hopefully more cost effective for the hospitals. Um, but I think those technologies are still sort of maturing. Um, and then again, like a lot of industries, we also have things like AI and artificial, in, like artificial intelligence coming in here. And so that, that's still trying to figure out where does that fit a role in terms of you know, identifying the right patient to the implant to the outcomes and really tying in those large data sets to um, you know, make sure that the whole system can thrive and be successful. Um, so that's sort of, I guess, is the ideal goal.
0: So surprises has always been a thing. Um, you know, you hear stories about, well, we went in to change the the, the the joint and then, you know, oh, we found this, right? You find fissure cracks or, or breaks or old breaks and things that you didn't know. The, the computer modeling that happens, I, this might be even more of an imaging question than necessarily, but I'm hoping it lands on that compute, computational part that our doctor is able to kind of see it, map it out, almost even rehearse it before they get in there today versus, you know, by the way, we went in there and we found out you have three hips, not two, like, I don't know, Uh, right, like something that is shocking that your bones have been broken five times. Did you know that? Um, As opposed to like computer modeling today, and I guess I imagine a little bit of Hollywood, a little bit of sort of 3d holograms, sort of be able to look around and see what's there before you start cutting things open and snooping.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's really insightful there, because we certainly I think that's the forefront of what's happening now, a lot of it. And again, it kind of ties in what you're saying. We have imaging and imaging really allows us to see inside the body, whether it's something like X-ray or MRI. So we have an image that we can use to kind of understand what's on the inside. So hopefully we're not going to see three hips. We'll typically see some type of hip or some type of whether it's a shoulder or a knee that has some type of, you know, degeneration or injury that needs ultimately have a surgical procedure. What you're talking about, though, is sort of the, on the preoperative planning side and the training side, right? So how do we actually put the surgeon in the best place to actually execute the surgery in the way they want, right? Because if they open it up and they haven't seen it before, especially when you're talking about maybe uh, more junior junior doctors that haven't had that yeah. exposure to the training that they had to go through you know, um, years well, like ago. A,
0: like a carpenter, right? You always say, you know, measure twice, cut once. And I imagine a doctor who's doing a shoulder rep- or a knee replacement for the first time. They're like measuring five times before they yeah. cut. You know what I mean?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm I certain there's many confident surgeons that can just make one cut and I feel pretty confident with that. But uh, I hope so. You know, I do think when you look at yeah, say some of these technologies, it's hard to replicate the real thing, right? I, I'm sure that's that's the, the nuts and bolts of it. But we are actually developing a lot of technologies now for sort of training surgeons outside of the operating room, especially when we look at things like residents and fellows, where they're, they're not necessarily well-established in their practice or their career. They're still learning, right? So in that sense, how do we give them the tools to, you know, have sort of a safe, rather than, you know, OK, you're going to practice on Mrs. Jones today, and you can actually practice on a virtual Mrs. Jones and make sure that you're going to perform the surgery correctly. So this is where we're developing tools where we can bring in those images. We can then generate 3D models, whether you're using it on your computer or your iPad or 3D printing. So we can 3D print that Mrs. Jones um, hip or we could or, or shoulder or your, your shoulder, shame, We could print a model of your shoulder and then assess okay well this is the size of implant or this is the procedure that needs to be done and so we can practice that outside the operating room so that we can bring then maybe the right tools or the right implants into the surgery so that the surgery is done effectively the other cool thing that i think we're, we're seeing more and more of now is the idea of virtual reality or augmented reality where we can bring in more vision type tools where they can actually bring that image and you can actually see the image on top of the patient um those take it's not necessarily that's everywhere now, but we are seeing more of that and a lot of interest in those type of technologies as we see you know newer headsets, whether Apple's got a new headset coming out next year. and so we'll probably see some interest in you know developing surgical visualization tools for those kind of things where you know a resident could, you know the night before the big case, they could put the headset on. And sort of go through a walkthrough of, of how that procedure is going to go so i mean i think that stuff's really neat um and so our lab has definitely been interested in developing those type of tools often in collaboration with other as I said, whether it's clinicians in toronto or across canada
0: mm. i imagine like a heads-up display of uh you know be able to sort of see things as they unfold again it's a little bit hollywood but it seems to be coming to real life now with your original background right like how you got started in this mechanical engineering is, is there a joint that's becomes your favorite through this that is either simple or complicated or maybe it's the simplicity that that makes it the most beautiful I mean you because I mean I'm assuming Stuart the mechanical part of you is how you ended up here I mean I don't know about you but the blood and guts eh, not for me um is there something that still kind of gets you in awe when you see it and you're like I can't believe that actually happens
4: (laughs) yeah that's great I mean definitely that's how it worked out we have a number of surgeons in our family and again i just didn't really want to go down that road so i did engineering very smart of you had a chance to work in automotive for a couple years and that was also realized was not for me so then i found myself back towards the biomedical side and really kind of found my niche blending between engineering and medicine um so yeah still the the blood and guts can can kind of get to you at times but for me I, i guess i'm kind of more known as a spine guy um as far as sort of my training and background we uh, that was sort of when I was first exposed to working with clinicians. It was a number of spine surgeons in London, primarily Chris Bailey, who's who's there and, and leads a really interesting program, both on the research and on the clinical side out in London. And Chris, Chris kind of got to me my, uh, gave me my interest in, in the spine and really. When you look at things like hip and knees those procedures do really well like the patients for the most part you know those implants last 10 20 years but on the spine side they kind of lag behind the outcomes aren't quite as good so for me there's a lot of interest because i think that's still a a nut to be cracked um, and it hasn't been quite as well as um, solved as well as those other joints have been so we tend to stay in the spine but um, you know we're always going to keep our uh, sign open for anybody that has any other problems or or questions yeah. or things that we can kind of apply our research towards
0: well the spine must be i mean i don't know what the word is um it's risk reward i guess the reward of the spine is so impactful on somebody's lives i mean and i don't want to diminish what someone's going through with a bad knee or a bad hip hips are tough because they they you know you start to wreck your back you start to compensate right but you know you have scooters and and you have Braces and crutches and things that can get your mobility, but your spine. The reward, if you get it right, is just life-altering for not only the person that's been injured, but for all the people around them that assist that person always. So that must be rewarding when uh, something. I almost said trinket. That's totally not what you do. But there's we, some little bit. we do bit. a lot of
4: trinkets, but
0: don't worry, that's okay. Do you? Okay, so, phew. Uh, so but like one little bit, and and it just it changes the outcomes for people. I mean, that must be incredibly rewarding when you're working with these pieces of this puzzle.
4: Yeah, I mean, I have to put the caveat that I'm not sure we're quite there as you know, delivering these groundbreaking technologies yet. But we're certainly working towards that. And I think, as I said, why we're interested in the spine because I think those opportunities are there to still maybe make those leaps forward. We're, you know, presently, we're interested in looking at, um, you know, disc replacements. And that's an area where it's been kind of in and out. And has not really been a solved problem yet? I think we've seen trends towards new and improved there. So we're working on some new designs and implants for that That could potentially, but as you say, the spine is really complex. It's complex to get to. There's a lot of really important structures in and around there that are very critical to make these surgeries difficult. So you can't just open everybody up and see everything you need to see. So often these cases are done minimally invasive. So very through a very small opening uh, and trying to pass instruments and implants down into the spine to kind of repair it can be quite challenging. Um, so that, that's good news for me as an engineer, because it keeps us in business to keep looking at lots of interesting ways to, to think about the problem and how to approach it, whether it's again developing new implants through 3D printing, new computer models to kind of assess how the spine is going to change, um, or risk of injury, um, or again, new imaging technologies. So we work with some imaging scientists as well to sort of look at, you know, can we diagnose how you know, this spinal condition is going to change or the, the range of the conditions might change over time. So definitely a lot of a lot of interesting areas for us to go down.
0: How nice does the bottle of scotch have to be to get you to 3D print me a new shoulder joint? Yeah. <laughs> Can you just make that happen for me?
4: I mean, you know what? With the technology today, it's so accessible now. Like it used to be like there would be like, you know, one 3D printing, this is like not within about a decade ago. But now all the students that show up to our undergrad program, I want to ask my first year static class, everybody has a 3D printer that they've either built themselves or they do. So the, the young kids these days, they've got, they could probably do that. So I'm sure if you just ask like a uh, an 18 year old in high school, they can probably just 3D right. print you one pretty quick. That's, we do some stuff more nerdy. on the metal printing side, which again, yeah. you don't really need to have be become Wolverine or whatever and have a, you know, a metal skeleton. But one of the neat things I think that's really come down, we talked about, you know, new technologies on the, sur- on the shoulder side is the fact that they've one of the most popular technologies now is, is a reverse shoulder. So they actually have flipped the joint around, which um, intuitively doesn't seem to make sense, but it actually has proven to be a much more successful surgical outcomes. Um, so if you're if you're told to get a reverse shoulder arthroplasty, sorry, a reverse shoulder arthroplasty, um, those procedures are, are pretty neat and they're doing well right now. So I think it's quite popular on the on the shoulder care side of things.
0: Are people are getting these surgeries older now? Um, Has that this technology, I'm assuming, I mean, the less invasive it becomes, the more it opens up in the demo.
4: Honestly, I almost wonder if it's going the other way, if it's actually skewing younger now, because, you know, people are more active, and they're pushing their bodies harder. And I think the fact that the technologies are doing well, technologies are doing better now, you don't need to wait till you're 60 or 70 to get your joint replaced the last 10 years, you can get it done at 50 or 60 or even 40. And still feel pretty confident that it's going to last 25 years, maybe. And then the revision procedures can also do pretty well. So you know, I think it's, I think it has actually skewing younger. And I think this is what also kind of exacerbates the problem is that we're not look, targeting just a small older population now. We're actually talking a much larger population from the 40s to you know your hundreds um, with these type of procedures, and that's really put the stress on the system that there's more and more interest because, as you say, these generally, these procedures do really well, um, and can be have a big impact for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, they're gonna last a long time. I think that's pretty incredible. Okay, so you are a mechanical engineer, you PhD, you've gone through all the things. So either you really love this stuff, or you really like going to school, (laughs) one or the other. Um, The yet all of the things that you can build and all of the nuts and the screws and the bolts and, and um, all the metal bits that you put together, is it grounding for you the humanity of it all in that you still have to do the rehab you still have to do the exercise you still got to find a way like if you've been sedentary for so long that that's part of your problem and then now you've given this extra second chance at things because it's a knee or whatever and you've got to get moving the, the regardless of all the science behind it it must be powerful for you after all of this study, when it just boils down to, look, we can do all these bits and pieces, but if you're not willing to do the work as the human, it's not going to help. Um, how does that land in, in in your lab? Because I mean, that it must be incredibly touching and inspiring, but at the same time, you you can't fix not willing, right?
4: Yeah, I think that's why the patient education piece of it's really important, right? Because you need to make sure that the patient who's receiving the care is not just saying like this is a free ride i'm going to be perfect they, they're a real key cog in making sure the procedures are successful um both before the surgery and after the surgery and obviously after the surgery you say we've got newer procedures now that can get people out quicker which i think is is a great you know accomplishment for for humanity to get you know have those people can basically go in in the morning and be out in the in the afternoon with it with a new hip or knee um but yeah, on our side, it is you know, we slave away and do the research to, to crack one small code. But again, as you say, if, if the patient's not, um, you know, doing the right rehab or, the, or following up on the therapy or going to the visits to kind of monitor how that therapy's is going, um, you know, it could be for naught because, again, they, these are still, at the end of the day, complex procedures that are trying to kind of hit a sweet spot. And, you know, things can go awry. But, you know, they also have ways to, to correct that too, right? With, as I say, like, you can kind of do a revision procedure or you can you know, live with it, right? So maybe you've reduced your pain from a 10 to a five and you then it went back up to a six, but you can live with that. So um, mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, kind of where we stand. And I think you just have to realize that you're just a key part, like one part of a bigger puzzle, right? So we try to we try to help look sort of forward looking and, and what, the, what technologies are gonna be coming down and where that might fit into Canada's healthcare system. Um, but realizing that, you know, Canadians and the patients themselves play a huge role in that is really important.
0: Yeah, really important. It's fascinating. I mean, you're still a young man. Do you find that the, um, when you go about your day, this is a personal question. That's okay. When you go about your day, you get up in the morning and all those things. I mean, do you, because you're literally, you know, working on designing and changing designs for a shoulder or a knee or a hip, or in your case, mostly spine. Do you find that you are conscious of that when you get up in the morning? I mean, you know, every day you get a new ache in pain, all the things start to happen and, and you don't want to be the, it's kind of like here, right? We're don't, don't ever be the headlines kind of a good rule of the media, right? To, if you're going to host a radio show, don't be the headline in the show. I mean, you kind of don't want to be the patient on the table unless you have to be, does that, is that a big part of what you do when you see that kind of like a dentist who takes care of their teeth, I suppose.
4: Yeah. I can't say I'm the most active or exercise person, but we do have three young kids that keep us keep keeping busy. Um, but at the same time, I do laugh where I feel like there'll be times where you're sitting in a lecture for you know many hours or hearing somebody talk. And I feel like the, like, pain that I've caused my back for sitting in that lecture for three hours. I'm not sure if I've actually re- advanced research enough to, to help, <laughs> help correct that. So there's a bit of balance personally on making sure that I do enough positive research to at least alleviate my back pain from sitting with poor posture in chairs.
0: That's good. That should be your next you Next time you do a keynote of some sort, you'd be like, okay, everybody come with me. We're walking. I'll talk. You yeah. listen. At least as, again, when I teach the here.
4: students in undergrad, I do try to get, have, get people to stand up and do jumping jacks or jump around a little bit to uh, keep them moving. Cause I, you know, my three hour lectures, I can't say are the most exciting, but sometimes they can be a bit fun.
0: <laughs> you don't give yourself enough credit. Uh, fascinating stuff. This is uh, really interesting, I think for people to know some of the amount of work and science that goes behind it. When we say I need a new knee or I need a new hip. Um, or in my case, my, my fear of maybe needing to get my shoulder done again. I, um, we just sort of think that it all is there. Like you went to Walmart and, you know, you you bought a new air fryer. But there's an awful lot of work that goes in behind the scenes. And to hear that part, I think, is it really changes perspective. So thanks for sharing that with us.
4: Yeah, thanks, Shane. Appreciate the time.
1: This is The Shift Podcast. It's time
0: for... Game showy. It's a game show on the radio. Our special guest here on the show is Handy Andy Barrar. He's not joining us from Connecticut, it's from Surrey, BC. But he's cool and he has an Airbnb and he skips a
3: lot. Here's your host. Ryan O'Donnell! Thank you, Bob. And thank you, Andy, for joining us at this hour of the morning. And uh, this is a very special game because this is a rematch. This is round two of Shannon Handy Andy Go At It in the trivia game show. The game showy, Canada's favorite radio game show. Andy, how you feeling before we get started? How you feeling? This is
2: this is the redemption show. Okay. This is what it's all about. Because I don't this. like losing. I'm like Michael Jordan. I'm very competitive in everything I do, including radio game shows.
3: You're just like what? Michael Jordan. Just like him. Just like him. Just yeah, you're going to be six wins in a row. the same
2: pod. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I just didn't play basketball. That's the only difference.
3: Yeah, uh, neither did I. So, uh, well, anyway, uh, I'll thank you. I'll thank you very much. The reason I'm saying that is because on August 16th, 1977, oh, my Elvis my Presley passed away. It's Saturday a redemption song for and
0: first... You're all being
3: serious. Well, yeah, shoes. I got to get us into this. So, look. Elvis Presley passed away uh, oh how many years ago now 40 13 Yeah he was still So
2: tell the pandemic. Yeah
3: um he got covid
2: oh what <laughs> He's still alive. Ever guys. Read, Come on, let's be you real. ever read the Elvis. magazines oh, of the grocery. Cell? Yeah,
3: right. Sorry, that like that whole thing. Like you have to understand millennial exposure to Elvis. There was never any theories that he was still alive. Like he's just oh, oh it was yeah, always no.
0: in the magazines of the grocery store when I was a kid. Yeah,
3: but even as a kid, you'd read him go. Yeah, no, that's not that's not real. Yeah. Why, man, you believe uh, that stuff? I believe that Elvis has indeed left the building. Uh, But anyway, so he passed away uh, on this day many, many years ago. And today we're going to pay tribute to his career, his life with some Elvis trivia. So here's how this game works if you're new here. Our contestants are going to pick a question and difficulty of said question. Now, today we're playing for rhinestones because I cannot think of Elvis Presley without thinking of the most out outfit ever. Nobody could wear it like he did. And so, if you have one, you're going to have a chance. You're going to need some rhinestones. Now, one rhinestone would be an easy question, and three would be a difficult one. Now, when you get the question right, you will hear, not the song playing in the background, but you will hear this. If you get it wrong, however, you'll hear this.
4: By Elvis has left
1: the building.
3: Oh. Yeah, th- fun fact: that recording—that's from the very first time that phrase was ever used. 1963. Oh. That's a recording—the very first time. Wow. Now we've got three categories of trivia to choose from. We've got "Viva Las Vegas," focusing entirely on his stay in Las Vegas. Jailhouse rock songs. So just to look at his catalog of music, and finally, the King trivia questions about him now we also have the text line special which is a question for the shift heads only so andy shane you guys can't give me the answer you will randomly find it hidden in the show and if the shift heads are correct in their guess you will win two rhinestones so get your phones ready 877-399-9898 here is your question shift heads what was Elvis's first number one hit song was It Falling in Love, Can't Help Falling in Love, Heartbreak Hotel, Hound Dog, or Stuck on You. Again, what was Elvis's first number one single? Can't Help Falling in Love, Heartbreak Hotel, Hound Dog, or Stuck on You? Those are the rules. And I believe it's time to play The Game Showy.
0: If only I could do an Elvis impression, now would be the time.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Come on, give it a try.
0: That's all I got there. Viva Las Vegas, The Hits, The King. Here's the king of Game Showy himself. Ah, shaking his rhinestone cowboy. It's weird.
3: Yep. Ryan O'Donnell. Huh? Oh,
0: thank you.
3: Oh, I completely forgot. The text line special. Ryan. You'll know we found the text line special with a very, very special sound. Which again, 877 399 9898 Text in your answers. What was Elvis's first number one song? Was it Hound Dog Can't Help Falling in Love with You? Stuck On You or Heartbreak Hotel. Now, when we find the text line special question, you will hear this sound. Uh, how many do you want? There you go. Okay. So that's how we know we'll find it. All right. So, Andy, because you are here and uh, so eager and I'm grateful you're here, you're getting to go first. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I'm a the guy with the least of amount here. of
2: sleeves here goes first. So I'm yeah. a, I'm gonna pick uh, Viva Las Vegas two rhinestones. Okay, let's do it. All right.
3: So how come I uh, couldn't
0: play Redemption song because you're in a hurry? But then you did the thing twice because you didn't play the sound thing.
3: Because uh, integral rule to game showy versus quick sound joke.
2: Oh,
3: and just mm. weighing the weighing the importance here. Hmm. 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 Mm. Anyway, two rhinestones. In the Viva Las Vegas category. Now, we all know that Vegas had an unbelievable gift in having Presley there for so many shows. So, Andy, here's your question. What was the starting price of a ticket to oh. see Elvis Presley live in Las Vegas? Oh. Was it $100, 50 bucks, 30 bucks, or a measly $15? I'm
2: going to... Well, judging by inflation and everything, I'm gonna say fifteen dollars.
3: Going low. 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 That really? I know. I didn't say low. Sorry, I didn't say no. I said low. <laughs> anyway, that is <laughs> correct. Score wow. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Fifteen dollars was the starting tip price. Can you believe that? Now I gotta pay two thousand to see Taylor Swift. So Elvis performed more than uh, six. You don't have to
0: pay anything. To see Taylor Swift.
3: Yes, but for context, Elvis performed to. more than Reckless 600 shows to. before he died in 1977, including 58 straight sellout performances. The starting ticket, $15. Unreal. Wow. I mean, if wouldn't you, you high, want to see him? You could do 58
2: straight shows too.
3: That's true. I mean, wouldn't you want to see him for 15 bucks rather than 2000 Well, back then, I deal. bet
2: you like a can of pop was like $0.10, cents, so it's all relative. You 1970s? Know. I don't think so. I don't, I don't wow. think if <laughs> you did inflation on $15
0: that it's going to be the equivalent of $800 to see Taylor Swift. I don't think so.
3: <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, all well right. done, Andy. Coming out of the gate swinging. Shane's up next. Where are we going?
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with three rhinestones for the hits,
3: Right. The hits. All right. Elvis has an unbelievable catalog of music. Just hundreds of songs. But what is the most streamed Elvis Presley song? Is it Jailhouse Rock? Can't Help Falling in Love? If I Can Dream? Or Suspicious Minds?
0: Well, wow, that's uh, Can't Help Falling in Love, only because I was listening to
3: Elvis earlier today and I saw the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> There's some big numbers and that is correct. Yes.
1: 732
3: million 29,199 hey didn't ub 40 do a rendition of that song everybody it did a
0: rendition of they that did, song yes. but ub 40's was, version is
3: quite good it is quite
0: yeah good. it was actually um
2: in some ways more popular yeah I, I would have thought it would have beat elvis but his was obviously the original michael buble did it too it's
3: just such a good Uh, like romantic like you hear it at every wedding like it's just a it's just a it's such a great love song let's be honest it's kind of easy to
2: sing is it why don't you want to try it for you want to sing along here (laughs) so easy there buddy
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can give you the UB40 version get a little funky ragged feel to it
3: Uh, you gotta go low is this mic broken is mic on no, no, it's uh, no, I'm, he's just smiling because uh, he's stalling. Yeah. I just
2: love this song, I just like the song. So,
0: listen, sonically, though, I think it's because of um, the Elvis version, just didn't have the depth to the song that the UB40 version did. And then, the UB40 version really was the big one, and it's sonically just sounded so good. So
3: especially when go. it came out yeah disappointed
0: yeah. and he's not singing
2: <laughs> may, i gotta well, warm up shane you know
3: yeah let's warm hmm. up see if he starts winning maybe he'll start singing out of joy so yeah. well, there's well, a the way this is going he's that. not singing so i want to oh, win oh, okay. oh. so shane is ahead by one rhinestone oh. so andy your your jacket is looking uh severely limited right now so you're up next okay um
2: i'm gonna go with viva las vegas for one rhinestone keep the momentum going
3: Okay, let's do it. All right. So what casino slash resort did Elvis play slash reside at? Ooh. Was it? Now, you'll know this if you watch the movie. Was it the Flamingo, the Westgate, Caesar's Palace, or the Tropical? Or Tropical. I'm not sure. Would,
2: yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Flamingo. I don't know why, but that seems like the right one. Flamingo. Flaming,
3: no. I'm sorry, that's Aww. incorrect. <laughs> oh, that's now, pretty good. This is the tough part because Shane has five seconds to steal this from you if he knows oh. it.
0: Well, because
3: you just talked through half my five seconds. I'm gonna go caesar's slash Palace. sleazer slash Palace is Sleizers. also not the correct answer. The Westgate, Las Vegas Resort and Casino, performing two shows a night, seven days a week. Is it the still Reverend there? C. Westgate? I never even heard of it. It is. It, it is. is. It's at the far end of the strip. Yeah.
0: used to be a Westgate in Calgary. It's not quite the same.
3: Not quite the same. No. Had no. had Dewey Stevens not at all.
0: in it and a strip club.
3: <laughs> yeah. And the, I bet the buffet was probably just as bad, though. Like, mm. Las Vegas buffet. Yeah. Not that great. Uh, okay. Well. We're back where we started So Shane You could Leapfrog here Or Andy could steal So where are you going?
0: Uh, Well I don't have to leapfrog Because I'm already winning Um, (laughs) So I'm going to go with the uh, I'm going to go with the hits Because that was good last time Andy's going on the wee points here So I'm going to go for wee points too Uh, Two rhinestones for the hits
3: Oh Look at you You're a lucky guy today Shane That's because you just stumbled on uh, The text line special (laughs) Ooh. How many do you want? Uh-huh. How many do you want? Okay, so here was the question for the shift heads alone 877 9898. What was Elvis's first hit? Was it Can't Help Fallen in Love, Heartbreak Hotel, Hound Dog, or Stuck on You? I'm very happy to see just an absurd amount of texts. And I will say that it's interesting because there are three that have been texted, and nobody texted and can't help falling in love. And that's probably because it's later in his career. However, it's between two Heartbreak Hotel and Hound Dog. Ernie in Surrey saying Hound Dog. Jason from Prince Albert saying Heartbreak Hotel. Jeff in St. Thomas, Ontario, Hound Dog. Jasper, Hound Dog. Angel and Hamilton, Hound Dog. However, however, Double that for the amount of answers for Heartbreak Hotel, which I can say, Shane, luckily for you, is the correct answer. His first number one hit also earned him a gold record. And uh, Bill Clinton's first U.S. presidential campaign, he played the song on the saxophone.
0: You asked about who has done Can't Help Falling in Love? I'm going to yeah. rip a bunch off here. Okay. ones that you'll recognize Elvis yes. Pressel Michael Bublé, UB 40, Blue Melody Band, Celtic Tenors, uh, Casey Musgraves, country singer, Megan Trainer, Andrea Bocelli, Beck, Corey Hart, um, Ingrid Michaelson, uh, what else goes on? There's more uh, pentatonics. The list goes on and on and on and on pages and pages and pages. Of a bunch of of a, a whole bunch of people who did do it that you would recognize, and a big long list of people
2: that you would never recognize. Shame. Did, did he write that song? Did Elvis write?
3: No, he never wrote who, any of his. songs. Whoever his wrote story, that but,
2: song is yeah. making bank, or that family's yeah. making bank or with all those yeah. covers. Uh, I don't know if they are anymore. It's probably expired now.
3: Maybe, yeah. It's about um, fifty I years, know. I think, isn't it? Yeah. For. For yeah. public domain, don't know. That's right. Yeah. Okay, we're running low on time, but Andy, Shane is at five right now. If you pick a three rhinestone question, you could tie the game. Yeah, let's go for the king, three rhinestones. Okay, Elvis trivia. Now for the most obscure Elvis Presley fact. What two U.S. presidents is Elvis directly, although distantly, related to? I promise you this is real. Is he directly related to Clinton and Bush Jr.? Andrew Jackson and Woodrow Wilson, Abe Lincoln and Jimmy Carter, or Nixon and Obama? (laughs) I promise you he is related to two of the people that I just said. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to do a wild guess. Uh, What was the one? Clinton and who? There was Clinton and Bush Jr., Andrew Jackson and Woodrow Wilson, Abe Lincoln, Jimmy Carter, or Nixon and Obama. I'm going to guess
2: Clinton and Bush Jr. just because they're from the South. And there might be some relation
3: to like Mm -hmm. a second cousin or something. And Clinton played it on the saxophone. That's right. However, incorrect. It is not.
1: Elvis has left the building.
3: Shane, (laughs) can you seal the deal with a five-second steal? Oh, look at
2: that
0: rock. Yeah, because everybody who does a DNA test in America is related to Abe Lincoln.
3: Yes, that is correct. He is, wow. according to genealogists, related to both Abe Lincoln and Jimmy Carter. So they discovered oh. that the great great grandfather of the 16th president, Abe Lincoln, was Isaiah Harrison, an ancestor to Elvis, and the 39th president, Jimmy Carter, is a sixth cousin once removed from Elvis Presley. Seriously, wow.
0: everyone who takes a DNA test in America is like, I'm a,
3: like, Abe Lincoln was my great great uncle. Why is that? I, I don't, don't know. It's I, weird, I know. right? It's really strange. I don't... Yeah. Huh. It's you. Um, um,
0: what's the total, Rye? <laughs> say it out loud. Say know. it out loud. It's... No,
2: let's
3: not. It's uh, substantial. It's, it's... It's eight. It's eight to two. <laughs> wow. That's right.
0: <laughs> eight to two was the final number. Eight <laughs> to two. It's too bad Handy Andy couldn't win, because we could have maybe given him some sleeves as a parting gift. He joins us every single Monday here on The Shift for the Handy Andy Barrar segment of things. Not sleeves. We don't wear
3: sleeves, although we should be grateful, because he did wear a shirt this time. It's hot. I don't blame him. It's okay, Andy. Yeah. I don't mind. Do it's hot over here, guys. It's yeah, it's hot here too. Lucky I'm not wearing any sleeves, or I am wearing right. sleeves, Shane. i thought about it. Not thought about not wearing sleeves? Yeah, it's hot. Yeah? It's like 30 degrees. Right. It's not hot. Dude, it's like <laughs> 12 <laughs> degrees outside. What are you talking about? Yeah.
0: All right. Handy Andy made a lot of sacrifices to be here with us on the ship tonight, and uh, we appreciate for that a golf clap.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for oh, being for here too. and you gotta do out. this again guys
0: oh cool i was kind of thinking you were never going to come back after that no sport,
2: no but, okay. no i'm i'm, I'm very uh that. stubborn and gritty so i'll keep playing mm. g- game showy until i start win game showy okay this is good i like the competitive nature don't give up
0: even though it was eight to two well done <laughs> andy andy thanks, Mondays shane. here on the shift thanks for being here pal really appreciate it thanks shane Uh, This is, I think, one of the songs that Elvis Presley that stands the test of time the best. And maybe it's because it's been covered a couple of times that it did really, really well. I think Dwight Yoakam was the one who really did the the biggest of the country covers. But it's pretty cool stuff.
4: Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast.
0: Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.